0: hello everybody and welcome to the access ninja podcast we are a bi-weekly podcast that's every other week where we talk about accessibility through the lens of technology life and design i am jonathan
1: and i am rachel
0: hey rachel how are you doing today
1: i am doing great this saturday is beautiful it's already warm and i get to go to farmer's market right after we record
0: Oh, that's funny. Katie's at the farmers market actually right now as we talk, and my dog Connor sitting on the couch supervising our recording here. So it's a it's a relaxing day.
1: Hey, today is a doggy supervising day. Nettie's here too.
0: So we are um, we are going to be fully vetted by the canines in our house. <laughs> Well, in this episode, we are going to be uh, talking about two things. We've got a brand new tech tip. So if you liked that segment last week, we're going to try to make it a regular one. And we've got uh, a topic to talk about there. I'll let Rachel introduce that when we get to it. And then we are going to talk about gestures. And what I mean by gestures is specifically with touch-based screen readers like VoiceOver on the iPhone and TalkBack on Android, and we're going to go in deep and we're even going to talk a little bit of VoiceOver history, so I'm pretty excited about that. I have a very personal story about that that I'm going to share, so pretty excited about today's topic. So with that, why don't we just jump right into it, and uh, Rachel, take it away with our tech tip.
1: That is exciting. And today we're going to be talking about Notes, which is, of course, a Apple app. You have Notes on your iPhone and you have also Notes on your Mac. Uh, Gmail, well, Google also has its Note form. So I believe it probably works the same way. Correct me, all you all Android users. Um. And this week I was pretty excited about notes because for the longest time I just let notes hang there and not really use. I just thought it was, you know, just like a a writing pad that is just there. And I had text edit on my Mac for writing code and all those things. And I got very used to it and I used to use everything in it. Uh, Sometimes having like 300 files open at once.
0: Yeah. Oh, sometimes?
1: (laughs) All the time. (laughs) I think I needed an intervention. But um, so what happened is, and thus intervention, uh, Jonathan pointed out to me that I had to do something about it, and I did. And I started using notes this week and was incredible because I put several of what I'm working right now in there, bits and pieces, phone call recordings, uh, haven't even used reminders either. I just put everything in there. Uh, when I'm writing my book, I just throw ideas in there and amazing this week was that I was able to open it everywhere I went. And so as I'm waiting for the Uber to come pick me up, that was running late, I just pull up my phone. And even though I didn't have my computer, I could continue working uh, on a piece that I was working previously, not wasting any time, not getting bored. And it has other features too, like sharing. So the really easy way to collaborate is grab a note and hit on the if you're on the app, you can hit on the top it says share. And if you are on the Mac, you can go to the toolbar and also has uh add a person. So you oh, add people I, I want to point out
0: too in notes, it's also uh add add person on the iPhone as well. There's a share button oh, and add an per- add person button. Oh, that's them. right. Yeah.
1: Yes. So add a person is for you to share with a person and share is that you can actually send it through email, text, or but the person won't have access to collaborate on it, that will just have the information of the notes. But if you add a person, as Jonathan and I have done for this podcast, as we come up with ideas, we can put it in the notes and Jonathan gets notified when I put things in there and vice versa, so we can collaborate. And there's no need to try to find a collaboration to like, you know, Google Docs or Drop doc, Dropbox collaboration, all those tools right now are not very accessible. Uh, you can read, but often as a screen reader, it's really hard for you to add information, but in Notes is simple enough. It's just like a text edit. You can add information, you can delete information, you can uh, read information. So it's beautiful and I was really excited about it. I know it's not something new or anything, but it opens a whole new world of collaboration and accessibility
0: yeah and since we use notes to collaborate with this podcast it's something that we're using quite a bit so if one of us sees like a cool article we want to bring up on the podcast or a topic uh, I can just open up that note that uh, Rachel has shared with me I can type in there and she can see anything I write and uh, and back and forth and uh, that's how we do uh, uh, track all of our show notes uh, for this podcast actually and I know some people on Windows uh, who are doing um, this type of work with podcasts are using something like Google Docs, but we we like the notes, and we're going to really great for us.
1: Yes, because Google Docs, you have to do a bunch of different things in order to be able to read, and this is very simple and efficient. And like I've said a million times, accessibility is not just about reading. It's also about effectiveness of use and and um, you know how efficient, how fast you can do it.
0: Well, excellent! Thanks for sharing that uh, cool tech tip with us uh, this week, Rachel. Um, and if there's nothing else, uh, we'll move on to the next section.
1: Hey, I did have one more.
0: Oh, quick go, thing. go
1: right it. Go right, go for it. <laughs> it's not a tech; it's just an interesting fact. Did you know that Amy Poehler wrote all her book? on notes
0: i did not know that
1: yeah she said that in between recording parks and racks and doing all the stuff and being in the plane she would just pull out her notes app on her phone and type it away ideas and, and she said that it was a mess and then finally she had all the information for her to throw it in her book
0: that's really cool and the nice thing about notes is that you know you can it kind of sorts out all your individual notes you can go through a list of everything you've written and uh like writing a book you could even break it into sections or write different sections it's it's a it's a pretty good word processor and uh simple easy to use lightweight you know it's it's a good tool
1: oh and i had one more thing to say i totally forgot but as i'm using notes uh they have a shortcut for creating headings and then i added some to do bullets They have one to make it into a checklist. So now it's really easy because I just use a keyboard command and I mean a keyboard shortcut. And I'm able to create headings as I'm taking notes to separate sections and I'm able to do quick bullet points. And uh, if you put a number and you press enter, it creates a, a numbered list right away and By using another shortcut, I can get and make it into a checklist. And it's awesome because now I also have my to-do lists in there. I went to uh, travel this Wednesday, and I made my checklist of everything I had to take. I checked it off, and there I went.
0: And for those of you who are curious, uh, if you're on the the Mac computer, you can go to the menu bar under format to find those shortcuts. But here's just them real quick. Uh, So title is command shift and the letter T takes the line that you're currently on or the block of text turns it into a title heading is command shift H uh, to turn it into normal body text so if something's a title and you don't want it to be a title anymore you hit command shift B and that checklist is command shift uh, L uh, for a list
1: yes and if you double enter that will also get you out of it so I do uh shift command H for heading and I do two enters and that brings me back to the body
0: and those same shortcuts do work for iOS but you got to have uh, a Bluetooth keyboard connected uh, if you're on an iPad or on a iPhone so just good to know
1: I do have it so I forgot to say that so I do have a keyboard connected but you can also go into the bottom of the screen and you can uh, make those same um attributes happen for you
0: excellent so anything else about notes
1: no that will be it
0: all right we're gonna move on to our main topic of the podcast in a new section we are calling Oh, that was a bad introduction. Uh, I was trying. <laughs> let let it's me. Okay. Oh, let me try that again, everybody. That was a technical error here with uh, with uh, my uh, uh, audio program here. Let me try that again. <clears throat> okay, you ready?
1: <laughs> yes.
0: All right. We're trying out a new section. We are calling "Going Deep."
1: <laughs> I like it.
0: <laughs> so every once in a while, I like to go in and get really, really detailed on a topic. And today we are picking what perceptually seems like a simple topic, but I want to go in deep and I want to examine it in great detail, and that is gestures. And what I mean by gestures is that when we're working with a screen reader on a smartphone, uh, unlike on a computer where we navigate around the computer and have everything read back to us by using keyboard shortcuts... When the iPhone came out, they introduced the first gesture-based screen reader. So you're using touches on the screen and swipes and flicks and taps to do various things, to navigate, to move around, to get more information, et cetera. And I want to examine those in a little bit more detail, because as someone who trains people on how to use these screen readers, some of these gestures, some of the nuances, the little details, the differences between one gesture and another can be a bit confusing. So I want to go in and talk about those in greater detail. But before we get into them, I want to give everyone a little history lesson about touch-based screen readers. So we're going to go back in time. And I've even got some time travel music for us here where I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the origins of voiceover. Are you ready for our time travel adventure, Rachel?
1: Yes, I want to see what sound you have for me.
0: All right. So... We're going to go back in time to April 2005. So, a young 23-year-old Jonathan Campbell is living in Ames, Iowa and working in the very first central Midwest Apple store, the Jordan Creek in West Des Moines. He's very excited because Apple's been working a long time on a new version of their operating system, iOS 10.4 also known as tiger there's a particular (laughs) (laughs) this is back when apple named all of their operating system upgrades after large cats so tiger puma snow leopard leopard uh, etc
1: mountain lion mountain (laughs)
0: lion now we've got uh now we've got yosemite and mavericks and uh Uh, Sierra. Sierra. Hi, Sierra. Uh, And all named after uh, locations in California. But back then they were naming them after large cats. Now, Tiger was a particularly exciting release. It was bringing in some of, well, what is now some of my favorite features, the Mac OS. It was the first version that had spotlight, which is a searching the entire computer. It was the introduction of automator, a program that lets you create automation tasks and, We'll certainly talk about that in detail uh, on another episode as well. Uh, It introduced the zoom feature, uh, accessibility feature, where you can zoom in and see different portions of the screen magnified. But what was more exciting than all of that was the introduction of voiceover, which was going to be a full-fledged screen reader built directly into the Mac operating system. Because before that point, although they did have an introduction version, it wasn't even called voiceover uh, in 10.3, it was a demo, really. Uh, 10.4 was the release of this new screen reader. Now, I was very excited about this update uh, because uh, it was a, I was working in a retail store, and we made a very, very big deal about these operating system upgrades. I actually still have two different T-shirts uh, that were given to us specifically for this launch. So I've got macOS 10.4 Tiger T-shirts that I still own to, today. So when we wanted to do an introduction to this operating system, what we would do is we would have each staff member pick a different new feature. Someone would be be assigned to Spotlight. Someone would be assigned to the new dashboard feature, to Automator. Someone had to be an expert in each of those features. So when people came into the store during the launch, it was a big to-do. Not like today where they just push it out as a software update. You had to come in and buy the disk. It actually cost about $129. Now the operating system upgrades are free. Very different back then. So we needed someone to be an expert in voiceover. And I had one month to become the closest thing to a master in voiceover. Now, luckily, I had some background knowledge of screen readers. I had known about JAWS and knew some basics of getting around. But this version, this voiceover, what made it special was that it was built for the operating system from the ground up to be a full access screen reader made by Apple for Apple's computers. Because you see, what makes Apple computers different than the Windows computers and the other operating systems, especially at that time, was that Apple was the only computer company uh, back in 2005 that made both its own operating system and its hardware. So everything was very tightly integrated. We were told over and over again, this is the Apple advantage. This is what makes Apple special, is that where Microsoft has to make an operating system that works with literally thousands of different components, different processors, different graphics cards, different companies making out different pieces pulled from different companies with different drivers. Apple made their own hardware. So their operating system was designed carefully to work with the specific hardware they were making. So they didn't need to work on designing a hundred different drivers for different graphics cards. Apple had Two, like a base one and a pro level one and a couple of small variations. So it was very customized. And that's what made voiceover special is that rather than building something like JAWS, which is a program that sits on top of the operating system and looks into it and gets information, voiceover is in the operating system. It can see all the individual pieces of it and they can write the operating system to communicate with voiceover elegantly. It was a He's new experiment. native. Exactly. It was a new experiment. They also used a different inter- navigation method than JAWS, and that is VoiceOver actually breaks down the user interface. That would be the buttons and the text fields and the toolbars into a hierarchy, into sections that could be interacted with. So rather than having to read the opera- the, everything on the screen from top to bottom, it would break things into groups. And as uh, someone who learns what those groups mean, they can move around faster with voiceover because they can skip the parts they don't need and jump straight to the sections that they do want. So like a text box will be interacted with and now you're inside that text box and everything you're doing is inside and then you stop interacting with it. and You can move to the toolbar and interact with the toolbar and it actually has borders so you can get to the beginning and the end so you can really kind of navigate through the user interface. This was different than the way that, um, like I mentioned, Jaws or NVDA or Windows Eyes. Interacts it, still with is, computer. it
1: still is and it's amazing.
0: So the very first Mac version of voiceover opened to the public 2005. I was given one month to learn it. Not enough time. <laughs> I'm still learning more about it every day. Are
1: you saying that I wasn't the inspiration for your voiceover savviness? Uh,
0: You were definitely a motivator (laughs) for sure. Because my interpretation of voiceover before I met you, Rachel, was um, basically I would sit down, I would turn on voiceover, I would fiddle around, try to do the things I would commonly do on the computer. And I'd say, okay, that's good. And I would turn it off and then I would use the computer the way I was using it. And I wouldn't run into those um, those problems, you know. I wouldn't run into the rough edges. I wouldn't work in, run into the software that um, wouldn't work for me because I wasn't really pushing the edge, pushing the line. Uh, and then when I met, when we started working together uh, and uh, uh, you started running into problems and we're needing some technical support that was our IT department was not able to provide. <laughs> I, was able to, I was able to get in there and really, really get into the weeds along with you and try to problem solve because you were pushing the computer to its very limits. You were trying to do cutting edge. You were trying to really, really uh, go in deep and, and, and do work that I'd never tested in voiceover before. So I got to learn uh, a lot about being a pro at it, thanks to you.
1: Wait, thanks to you, I didn't give up my work. <laughs> so it's all good. <laughs> you inspired me to keep on going. Because <laughs> one day I was about to throw my hands in the air and say I quit.
0: Well, we'd also had a, a, an IT guy that he went he very well, but if there's something wrong, especially with something that was wrong with our particular workplaces set up, like the serve connecting to the remote. Uh, uh, hard drives, you know, the shared drives and things like that. Um, He wouldn't know how to um tell you how he fixed the problem. He would just, you know, turn off the screen reader, do it, turn it back on again. And then, you know, if you wanted to know how to do it, then I guess too bad. He doesn't know how to explain it with a screen reader.
1: Right. Well, and, and then the thing that happens is that if that happened again, I didn't have the knowledge to not have to bug him. And you totally made me independent because you always showed me what you were doing and therefore like seriously 10xing my uh, knowledge of computers and and how to do whatever I wanted in it.
0: I also feel like at some point, you know, we would have him come over and fix something and then leave and then I could come over because I saw what he did and then I could explain it. (laughs) Yeah how a yep. screener are doing like, okay, here's what he did. He opened this menu and this was a pop-up window and you're going to press this, you know, you're going to get yeah. to your window chooser and that's how you're going to get to it and interact with it, et cetera. Right. So, yeah. So we, you took me from, from basic to pro is what you did for me.
1: <laughs> it's okay. You took me from survivor to thriver. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, what we were talking about so far is the Apple, the, the Mac, I mean, the Mac computer versions for their desktop and their laptops. So I mentioned 2009 was when, um, I mean, sorry, 2005 Eight. is when that first came out. The very first version of that, April 29th, 2005, 23-year-old Jonathan's first exposure to voiceover. Now, VoiceOver was running on their computers uh, very effectively. And in 2009, in early 2009, they introduced a VoiceOver to the iPods through the iPod Shuffle, which was an iPod music player. A little tiny one, really, really, really tiny. It was like smaller than a pack of gum. And that one had no screen on it. So they introduced VoiceOver into the iPod 2nd. What's significant about the iPod introduction is that it was not introduced as a accessibility feature, but rather just a spoken feature that anybody could use and enjoy. And uh, in a lot of ways, these the work that people do in accessibility, as we say over and over again, kind of improves technology everywhere. So they learned how to take the experience, the, the voiceover uh, experience they had built, and incorporate that into a product in a way that anybody could use. Also, because they had worked in screen readers for a while, they also had better high-quality voices because when the very first version of VoiceOver came out, you had really crummy voices, just these old system voices, very robotic. And Uh, then... (laughs) So in 2006, when the next operating system came out, Apple introduced Alex, which is a customized voice that they created. And then a few years later, they licensed out a bunch of voices from Nuance. So if you are using VoiceOver on a Mac or on iOS, you have a huge variety of voices to choose from. And that is something that was developed and prioritized because of a screen reader. And those voices are used in all types of apps, even outside of a screen reader use. So,
1: I have even seen some YouTube channels where they have, like, I think it's Paul, which is a Nuance uh, voice, like, actually report the news or something it's kind of funny
0: i think it's really funny too it's like a really person who wants to make youtube videos but a little bit too shy to use their own voice so they use a computerized voice (laughs) or maybe they don't have a a a good voice of their own and uh and and this is the way that they communicate Uh, because there's a lot of people who use uh who maybe have autism or have uh, a disability that affects their voice and they need a computerized voice. Well, so do screen readers. So we all kind of benefit from this type of technology.
1: No, I don't mean to go on attention, but going in one, it would have been cool though. Like if someday they invented something like, you know, if Steve Hawkins could have said a few words in his voice before he lost it. And then that being transformed into like a, you know, Computerized voice that he could have used when he typed, and spoke out loud, because he was using one of those really ugly <laughs> early on voices, synthesized voices.
0: He got stuck with that voice too, uh, because every time he did a public appearance, if he used a more modern voice, people were confused because they associated right. him with that voice so much. Yes. <laughs> now Roger Ebert, the uh, the movie critic who uh, who. Oh, passed away several years ago, uh, came, uh, developed cancer in his jaw and had to have most of his jaw removed and he knew that was going to happen. And he did work with a company to try to take recordings of his voice since he had done so much television and make a computerized voice for him that he used. Uh, But, of course, that at the time was uh, very expensive, and you had to have a special company. There are a couple businesses trying to build out exactly that type of thing, allow people to create their own customized voices. But I I still think it's pretty bleeding edge. I don't think they've uh, they've quite mastered it yet, but they're working on it all the time.
1: Well, Jonathan, I would put yours on my computer.
0: (laughs) You wouldn't get tired of hearing my voice all the time?
1: No, but you would have to do your... You know, your video one to read my books.
0: Oh, yes. It was a dark and stormy night.
1: <laughs> uh. Hey, but in all that, I still have to say that Alex is my favorite because he's the only
0: one that breathes. Alex does breathe. If you listen very carefully at the beginnings and ends uh, after periods, when he, before he starts a new sentence, he goes, <gasps> just Yeah. a little bit. <laughs>
1: some people think it's creepy, but uh, it does help a lot on my reading comprehension.
0: All right. I'm going to get us back on track. We're going deep. We're going a little too deep.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry.
0: <laughs> so, I'm going to bring us up to I mentioned in 2009, early 2009 is when the iPod Shuffle first got voiceover, but also in 2009 was the release of the iPhone 3GS. And along with the release of this new iPhone, was the first version of voiceover on a mobile device. And as far as I can tell with my research, this was the first gesture-based screen reader. I've seen a lot of people make that claim, and I haven't been able to have it disproved. It was the first one that, rather than having to use a keyboard to interact, we would do a variety of gestures so well
1: I, I can sort of dismiss that uh i do believe it was the first one but the third party softwares that used to do um uh, screen reader mobile screen readers uh they were right behind them but the the gestures ability of these um companies were not anywhere near sophisticated you couldn't do everything you could do some things but you would still need to attach a keyboard to the phone in order to fully function but the iphone was 100 percent touch
0: what made the iphone unique and what made it uh an advanced place to have a gesture based screen reader is the iphone was the first mainstream device with a multi-touch touch screen and that was a device that could actually differ- differentiate one finger versus two fingers versus three fingers you you may have used a touch screen before uh at a uh, like an atm for example and those ones it only can take one finger at a time where, where we're touching where we're tapping and that's what screen readers be not screen readers. that's what touch screens before the iphone were mostly apple wasn't the first person with a multi-touch uh touchscreen, but the first person to put it on a device that anyone could buy and have in their hand. And so this allowed voiceover to be controlled with not just one finger, but also two fingers, three fingers. There's four finger gestures on the iPhone. That gives us a huge gesture vocabulary to work with. Now, I want to talk about these gestures because the most important thing about mastering the iphone with voiceover is to master these gestures and there's some subtle differences and i want to talk about those in some detail so for those of you who are not familiar with the gestures in voiceover on the iphone there's some very basic ones i want to start us talking out with so at the very very basic if you turn on voiceover in an iphone and if you have an iphone uh, with with uh, Siri, you can actually ask Siri to turn it on and off by saying, turn on voiceover, turn off voiceover. Uh, you can also turn on voiceover by going into the settings, under general, under accessibility, you'll find voiceover, and there's an on and off there. Or, if you have a brand new iPhone, you just bought that fancy iPhone, and it's you take it out of that wrapping, and you press the power button, the phone goes into an introduction screen which is where it's going to ask you for your Apple ID information. Do you want to set up the fingerprint sensor? At this point, if you tap the home button on the iPhone three times in a row, or if you've got one of those fancy iPhone tens, you would <laughs> go to the power button on the side, hit that three times in a row, and that'll turn on voiceover at that point. There's also something called the voiceover Uh, also something called the accessibility shortcut. We're not going to go, we're we're going deep. We're not going that deep, but you can use (laughs) Siri to get to it. You can activate it when you get a brand new phone. That's what makes it significant is voiceover can be turned on, on any phone, on any Mac, without any sighted assistance. That's very, very important because that's about independence. So when you turn on voiceover, you can... First, if you're, especially if you're sighted and you want to get an idea of how voiceover works, you can take your finger and just drag it a touch across the screen. And anything your finger touches, voiceover will read it out loud to you. It will also highlight it visually to show you where the focus is, where voiceover is paying attention. But touching and dragging around, although an effective method, is... Um, there's also these gestures that let us go and say what's next on the screen, what's next on the screen, what's next on the screen. Where we might do on the Mac a, a VO or control option right arrow to read the next item on the screen. Or if we're on JAWS, you might use the arrow keys to move around and say what else is there, what's next, next line, next line. We do a gesture, which is a flick to the right. And the difference between a touch, where we touch the screen and it reads the screen, And the difference between a flick, which is where we take one finger and we drag it quickly from left to right across the screen or right to left or up and down. The difference between that is actually quite subtle and a challenge for people who have never used a screen reader before. And that is those little nuances, that little detail I want to talk about right now. So anybody who's used VoiceOver, I'm going to actually turn on VoiceOver on my phone, which I've connected to... uh, to our system here. And I'm gonna turn on a feature called VoiceOver Help. And VoiceOver Help is a place where we can explore and practice these gestures. So hopefully I've got my my audio set up correct here. We'll find out in just a second here.
2: VoiceOver on, notes, folders, back button.
0: There it is, so. Voice over help, I mentioned, is a place to explore those gestures. And to, and to activate it, we need to perform a gesture. And it's actually one of the more challenging gestures, in my opinion. And that is, we have to use four fingers on the screen and we tap twice quickly. It's almost like we're sitting on a piano and we want to play two quick notes. It goes pump, 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 just like that, real quick. It doesn't matter if my four fingers are uh, at the top, at the bottom, in the middle, just anywhere on the screen, four finger double tap.
2: Starting help, to stop help, perform a four finger double tap or two finger scrub or press escape on the keyboard.
0: All right, so we're in help mode now. And when we're in voiceover help mode, if we perform a gesture on the screen, it will tell us what it does. So for instance, I mentioned flick to the right as a common gesture. I'm going to go ahead and do that. Listen to what it says.
2: Flick right, move to next item.
0: Very good. So it lets me know I did a flick to the right and that that would move to the next item on the screen. If I just touch the screen,
2: touch, select item under your finger.
0: Tells me it selects whatever item is underneath my finger when I touch the screen. Now, what's the difference between a touch and a flick? Now, I mentioned a touch is just putting our finger down on the screen. And lifting it up or putting it down and dragging it around slowly, it reads us everything that's on the screen. And a flick to the right is where we take one finger and we kind of drag it across the screen quickly. I tell some people that you want to do it quickly almost like there's like a gross bug on your screen and you're trying to get it off. (laughs) You're like, ooh, you don't want to touch it? Like, oh, get off, get off. And that helps out some people quite a bit. Uh, But we don't have to do it super fast. We have to do it quickly briskly is how I would explain it. We can do it real fast and it works. We can do it a little bit slower, but there is a speed at which it thinks we're dragging here. And turning on voiceover help is a good place to practice. So there's one other really important detail. This is a mistake that I see a lot of people I work with make over and over again while I'm trying to teach them that, how to use this gesture. And a lot of it has to do with some spatial uh, awareness here. Now, if I cannot see my phone at all, I might have it in my hand right now and I want to do that flick if I don't have a great sense of the distance between my finger and the screen, I might try to do the flick and I might actually miss the screen entirely by going up too high and keep in mind the people I work with are a lot of them are newly blind people who have recently lost their their vision uh, through like macular degeneration or an accident or things like that so they're not as spatially aware they're not as confident. As someone who's maybe been blind their entire lives. And what they want to do is they want to make sure they know where the phone screen is before they flick. And they do something that is a, uh, a major sin of the flick. And uh, Rachel, you're probably familiar with this. <laughs> and that is they will touch the screen with their finger and then swipe. So they go straight down, touch the screen, and then swipe. And what you get, I'm going to do that right now. So I'm touching. So I'm going to hit thump. And then I'm going to drag and I'm going to do it pretty quickly, but I'm going straight down and then I'm flicking to the right. So if I try to do that here, I'm going to touch and drag,
2: touch select item under your finger.
0: That just gives you a drag. I just get a touch and a drag. But what makes a flick different than a touch is that our finger is in motion, the entire gesture. So I don't go straight down. My finger is in motion before I hit the screen. It stays in motion while I'm dragging across the screen, and you want a good follow-through where your finger keeps going after you let go. I think of it. It's like almost golf. like
1: a swing. It's almost like a swing.
0: It's exactly like a swing, right? You don't, when you're swinging on a on a swing, you don't. Uh, you're, you're going back and forth, back and forth. You don't sit and then try to kick forward, right? That's not the way you do a swing. you you, you get move. You get that momentum the entire time.
1: Well, I was thinking more of a uh, golf swing. <laughs> oh, a golf swing—that's
0: good too. That's good too, right? Because a golf swing, we, we lift our, our our club up in the air, and then we bring it down in an arc, and then it hits the ball or the ground, and then it keeps going. There's a follow through. So the two things with this gesture—this is something that I just see over and over again—is that our emotions our fingers in motion, before it touches the screen, well, and after, and we get that nice follow through. So if I do that gesture.
2: Flick right. Move to next item.
0: Now, there is a speed that it needs to be. There's a minimum speed. And it's something that's impossible for me to describe in words. You have to kind of feel it through. So turning on this voiceover help, just to repeat, that's forefinger, double tap to turn it on. You can practice with different speeds. Get an idea about how quickly you have to do it. So if I do it slowly, I'm going to go, I'm going to count it out while I do the gesture so you can get it feeling from the left to right. So I'm gonna go one, two. Flick
2: right, move to next item.
0: That says it, if I do it slower, so I do one, two, three before I get to the edge. So I'm gonna go one, two, three. Touch,
2: select item under your finger.
0: Oh, a little bit too slow. So, finger SB motion has to be a pretty good speed follow through. And if you do that and practice that with the voiceover help, you'll become a master. So, left and right, takes us forward and back there is more than a handful of additional gestures so there's another gesture as well that's important and that is the double tap when you are on a button on an app on a text field that you want to edit to interact with it we do a double tap just like uh Just like the flick gesture, another challenging thing to know. What's the difference between touching the screen to read there and a double tap? And the main difference is speed. So we want to do a double tap. We want to tap that screen twice quickly, just like we talked about with the voiceover help, the four-finger double tap. We want to go one, two, like we're pressing two quick notes on a piano. Or I think that's staccato when you'd go twice. Yes. Okay, good. I'm jumping into the territory I'm not comfortable in, music. Um, so you do a two quick, uh, two quick taps really quickly with your finger, and the two mistakes I see people make all the time is obviously speed. Right? If I go one two slowly, I'm gonna go one two. One.
2: Double tap oh, activates the selected <laughs> item.
0: I still got it. (laughs) If I do it a little bit too slow,
2: touch, select item under your finger.
0: It thinks it's a touch because remember if we just touch the screen, there's too much of a delay between when I touch it once and when I touch it again. Now, just so you know, if you do go into your voiceover settings, there's a double tap timeout option and you can can increase the duration as in the amount of time between double taps uh, through that setting. It's always going to be a very quick double tap.
1: I did not know that.
0: Oh, this is a huge thing for my customers who have some uh, motor difficulties and they find that the two-finger double tap is very hard. Yeah, if you go into here, I'll actually show everybody. Open voiceover settings.
2: Here are the settings for voiceover. Accessibility settings.
0: All right, so I've opened up voiceover settings, and I believe it's at the end, so I could flick to the right till I get to the end, but I'm gonna use another shortcut. I'm gonna take four fingers, and I'm gonna tap just one time on the lower half of the screen. This is a a, a neat shortcut. This takes you to the bottom of the screen.
2: Double tap timeout, .5's button.
0: There it is, so it's the last item in voiceover. So remember, you could flick to the right till you get to double tap timeout, or if you wanna jump straight there, four finger tap on the bottom half of the screen. A four finger tap on the top half will jump you back to the top and uh, I, I really that's that's a, a gesture I really like but it, if you've got a smaller like an iPhone SE, it's hard to get four fingers on the top and bottom half. Uh, if you've got a bigger phone, uh, then it's quite a bit easier anyways, you heard double tap timeout 0.5 that is the amount of time between a single uh, the double taps that I need that's half uh, that's half a second so if I double tap on double tap timeout
2: Selected voiceover back button, double tap timeout heading.
0: I'm gonna to flick to the right.
2: Double tap timeout heading.
0: i gonna flick to the right again.
2: Seconds, 0.50 text field.
0: Now so 0.50 seconds, tec- or, or five seconds. I'm going to
2: double tap time, decrement button, increment dimmed button.
0: There's an increment and decrement button. There's an increment, I double tap that will increase the amount of time it will let me do between double taps if I flick to the left.
2: Decrement button.
0: And I can double tap on that.
2: Decrement 0.45 seconds decrement 0.4 seconds so
0: 0.5 seconds is the longest it will let me set it to and I've got mine set to a nice long 0.5 seconds
2: increment button increment zero increment what is the 0.5? shortest
0: um the shortest that's a good question let me find Decrement out. Button. so I'm going to go to the decrement button and I'm going to double tap over and over again until I get to that lower number
2: Decor zero. Decorment. 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 Decor zero. Decorment. Decorment.
0: So that shortest amount Se- double is
2: double seconds. Text field is editing zero dot twenty character. So point two seconds.
0: That's real fast. So I'm gonna put that back up again here.
2: increment Increment. 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 There point. we go.
0: Anyways, so what i'll do for a lot of my customers who especially i have a lot of older customers is i'll go into this double tap timeout and i'll turn it up to the largest amount while they're learning so that they have an easier time performing that double tap they have more time but still half a second so between one tap and the second tap you have half a second so always fast so i mentioned one of the biggest problems is the speed we're going to work on the speed but the other problem that we run into a lot is that that double tap is like the opposite of the flick as far as what you want to do. With the flick, I mentioned your finger needs to be in motion that entire time we touch the screen to when we let go. But with a double tap, we want our finger to go straight down on the screen, come right off, and straight down on the screen again and come off. We don't want our finger moving up, down, left, or right because that will look like a flick because that flick is in motion. So I have a lot of people, when they do their double tap, because they need to do it so fast, they get so excited. And they're trying to do it really quickly. And they want to get it right, that they tap so fast that when they push the screen, they push it so hard, they're actually literally pushing the phone away from themselves. And the phone moves up or down or left and right before when they let go. So when they touch the screen and they hit it so hard, the phone moves, it looks like a flick gesture, left, right, up, and down. And there's nothing more frustrating Then try when you finally found that button on the screen. You can flick into the right and you hear a done button. You're like, oh, good. I'm going to hit that done button. I'm done. I'm going to finish this task. (laughs) This is going to feel great. And then they try to do a double tap, and that first double tap feels like a flick and it jumps to the next element. Or if they flick down, which is the more common one, it flicks to the next setting in the rotor, which might be a heading, which might jump you way far away from where that button was. And then what do you what ends up with you is you're confused. You don't know where you are anymore. And that's one of the challenges of a touch-based, uh, gesture-based screen reader is that when we make a mistake, like instead of doing a double tap, we do a flick. It moves us dramatically away from where it might move us dramatically away from where we are. And we have to kind of figure ourselves out. You, have you run into this, Rachel? <sighs>
1: Yes, I have. Uh, and, you know, I have all my motor skills very nice, but I still happen because sometimes I'm moving through things so fast and I'm not I'm not even listening to what the screen reader is saying because I know where I want to go. So I, ju- I just hear the you know, for the done and then I just double tap, but I moved pretty fast, so then um, I go to the next thing and I double tap there before I even heard and then boom, like it canceled and I'm like, (laughs) and then and that I didn't go away from it a lot. But, uh, you know, we haven't talked about it, but there is the rotor. So as you move the rotor, your up and down gestures change. And a lot of times I have in vertical um, navigation. So sometimes, you know, sticking with the done button, maybe I, I did done. But then I flick down real fast and then now I'm in you know in the middle of the screen, and then I go, okay, like slow down, breathe, and then I slow down, and everything gets done properly.
0: yeah, one of the things that you mentioned uh there just just to me think of the fact that uh, i have when I'm teaching people to use a screen reader. They, uh, they they like to listen to what it says. So as I flick to the right, it kind of describes it. But you mentioned that you you know I'm in the settings menu. It's maybe five flick to the rights to get to what I want, right? So you don't wait to hear what it says. You flick to the right, flick to the right, flick to the right, flick to the right. Because you, you've you been through this before. You navigate it. Uh, one of the interesting things with teaching people I've noticed is that when, a, when someone's first introduced to a screen reader, they don't like to interrupt the screen reader. Even if they know that it's the <laughs> next item, they wait for it to finish saying the whole thing. So if I flick to the left here.
2: Decrement button.
0: I flick to the left again.
2: Seconds text field is editing zero. dot.
0: So I was on the increment button and I flicked to the left to get the decrement and I flicked to the left to get to 0.5. I want to go back to the increment button. So I know it's two flicks to the right because I flicked to the left twice, right? Just counting. So I can go flick right, Deck, flick right button. I don't have to wait for it to finish saying decrement. And it's just it's it's for some reason, uh some people when they first have that challenge, they don't want to interrupt the screen reader. I've noticed that some people uh, also tend to be overly polite to their phones and I appreciate that. <laughs> and I, I think yeah. some and ways it's that does
1: thing because they're new to being blind. <laughs> <laughs> When you don't know your life, you get pretty rude to your phone.
0: (laughs) I have a lot of people when they Activate Siri. Siri will do something and then they'll activate Siri again just to say thank you to Siri. And I appreciate that. That's good manners, but really, really, really not necessary. Because Siri could, honestly, Siri could care less about you.
1: Oh, sometimes (laughs) I activate Siri just to say you are an idiot. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Siri doesn't have feelings. uh, So it's okay to take out your frustrations uh, if you need to. (laughs) (laughs) one more thing about uh just properly doing gestures and then we're going to talk about some of our favorite gestures and i have some tips i want to talk about the rotor a little bit quickly too and and uh i and then maybe we'll 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 finish up here but you don't go ahead
1: i i did wanted to say that i've noticed that a lot of people are flickers so all they do is flick and i'm not a flicker like uh I flick when I have to, or when the dragging is not responding, because I've noticed that some apps, I don't know if it's the way they're built, uh, the drag won't read, but I'm more of a, a dragger. So if, and and also I know where things are in the, because I drag a lot, I know the positioning of every icon on the screen. And then, so if I'm going to the decrement, for example, button, I know where it is in the screen and, I will always touch kind of close to where it is, and if I don't get it, then I will flick maybe one or twice to the right or left, but I'm usually in the vicinity of where I want the button, because I cannot stand like flicking through the whole screen. It just drives me nuts.
0: And everybody's got their preference and the way that they think that they lay it out. But the way that you described using a rituals, is well, the way I, I associate with a lot of people who are uh, experienced or advanced voiceover users. Because, well, I'll give, give a very specific example. Earlier, we talked about the Notes app and how you can share uh, a note, collaborate a note with someone else. So if I'm in the Notes app and I am in a specific note, uh, the layout of the screen, is a set of buttons across the top and the bottom of the screen with the note you're writing in the center. So if I wanted to share this with Rachel, I might get there one of two different ways. If I'm in the note, I might know that in the note, the buttons go as follows from from left to right. The back button takes you back to the list of all your notes. A heading that is the name of your current note. The add a person, which is a share button. And, oh, no, not share, but uh, add a person, which is the collaboration button. And then next to that is the share button. So if I was doing flicks, I might know when I'm in the notes app, when I just open the new notes, I flick one, two, uh, to get to the collaborate button. So from back to the heading to the collaborate button. Uh, but if you are not at the top of the app, you've been doing something. So voiceover focus is there. Um you might have to flick left and try to find your way back to it. It might be hard to find, but you might also know that the collaborate button is always in the top right corner of the screen. So you can just put your finger in that portion of the screen to move voiceover's focus there. And if you, get, you, might, if you go to the top right corner, you might land right on top of it. If you end up on the share button, then you just flick to the left to get there. So you can navigate a lot faster as you learn the layout of an app and you can do the uh, the dragging and the exploring as well like you mentioned Rachel.
1: Well, that's what made me fall in love with the iPhone versus any other phone I ever had because even with the keyboards, you know, like kind of like BlackBerry and all the other phones, I I had a HTC with a, you know, pull out keyboard and and that was the problem with all of them. I had to function like I function with a keyboard and jaws. And with the iPhone, I can just jump around.
0: Yeah, like uh, I have a, another customer who's got a flip phone that's a speaking flip phone, and it to navigate it, she uses literally physical arrow keys on there. And she has to, na- if she wants to get to something that's on the bottom of the screen, she's got to press that right arrow like twenty times to get yeah. there. There's no jumping, but the voiceover, you have the choice to jump. You have several navigation methods. Speaking of jumping around the screen or navigating, let's talk about the rotor a little bit. Because the rotor was a very, very new concept that was introduced in voiceover. Uh, Do you want to describe the rotor a little bit, Rachel? Sure.
1: So the rotor, the gesture is you grab your thumb and your index finger or two fingers, whatever you want. But I use my thumb and my index finger. And you sort of rotate it counterclockwise or clockwise on your phone and that will be giving you different options but i noticed that some people also have trouble with that motion jonathan why don't you share with us a bit what what kind of uh solutions you have given to explain
0: absolutely yeah the rotor tends to be a challenging gesture uh conceptually and uh and 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 uh functionally as well. It's one of those things that once you master it, you stop you you think it's easy. Uh, but when you first <laughs> have to learn it, it seems like it's impossible. Um so that motion you mentioned the two fingers on the screen like a thumb and an index finger or you can do it with two two uh two fingers here is just like turning the, the way that the rotor are supposed to work is supposed to be like turning a knob like if you had like a stereo with a with a circular knob and you would grab that with with two fingers or thumb and you would turn it it 's that same conceptual it 's like turning an imaginary knob on the screen and in theory you take a thumb and thumb and pointer, stick them on the screen, and then rotate and I often tell people they 're trying to learn how to do it this way you 're taking two fingers, placing them on the screen, and then you 're rotating your wrist so you can rotate your hand as well, but if you rotate your wrist, that kind of turns both those fingers at the same time, so you hold them nice and stiff put them on the screen and then rotate your wrist to create that circle, circular motion. And that's the way that, uh, you know, the standard way of doing it. But it's not the only way to activate the rotor.
1: <laughs> I just remember I used to have a 12-year-old and what he did is he would put his thumb on the screen and then with the other finger, he would touch the screen and he would rotate the phone. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember that. And I mean, that also worked, which was like really funny because I taught him that he could actually with the left hand put his finger and then with the right hand, he could get his index finger, which we call reading fingers, Uh, you know, if you're blind. And, that, and then he would make that finger go around. But then he's like, what if I did this? So he put it in the index finger, and then his middle finger, he touched it, and he started like making the phone go around on his index finger, which was funny.
0: It works, although I imagine the orientation of the phone gets a little confusing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but he was a 12-year-old. Come on. He was being creative. <laughs> So there's three ways that I think of, and Rachel, if you've got a fourth, uh, let me know. But uh, the first way is to place, like I said before, is to place the thumb in the uh, index finger or your reading finger on the phone. And then rotate your wrist. Keep the phone still. Don't spin the phone. (laughs) Although, you know, if you spin the phone like a quarter turn, that actually works pretty good. Um, Another way I've seen people do it, it's not my favorite, but a couple people really do like it this way, is what they'll do is they'll place – Uh, one finger on the screen on one hand and they'll place and keep that one still then they'll take a finger with their other hand put that on the screen and act like they're drawing a circle around their first finger so you might place a thumb on the screen and then with your other hand you take an index finger you place it above and you start to rotate it around the thumb so you're only moving one finger on the screen and that'll actually activate the rotor so I take one finger another finger down and move it on the rotor
2: speaking rate containers braille screen input characters
0: now the way i like to do it personally is a combination of the first method and then this other method that is what i'll do is i'll hold the phone in two hands uh, so what i'll do is i'll take one hand and i'll put it underneath so my fingers are underneath, but my thumb is free i'll take my uh-huh. other hand and i'll also put that behind there i almost interlock my fingers behind the phone uh but i have both my thumbs free so my fingers are behind the phone holding the phone steady. Uh My thumbs are free. And then what I'll do is I'll flick down with one thumb and up with the other. So I'm flicking in opposite directions at the same time. And that also, when I do that correctly, moves me through the rotor one step at a time. So I'm going to do that right now.
2: Words, headings, speaking rate.
0: So I'm using two thumbs, flicking in opposite directions, rather than two fingers rotating on the screen. Uh, so those are the three methods for activating the rotor that I see a lot. Do you know any other? Do you have any other uh, fancy things you've come across?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I do the first one, but uh, when I was first starting to use and I and I was exploring all kinds of gestures to see which one was my favorite, I I'm not a two hand person. Like I, I do not like to touch my phone with two hands. Um, So what I used to do was, uh, and I still do it when I'm in the kitchen with a recipe and I have one hand that's completely dirty and I have my phone on the counter, I put my index finger anywhere in the screen and I hold there um, steady and then I use my middle finger to flick around my index finger, but just on the right, I'm not... You know, I just I just kind of flick on a sort of like an a C motion, and that usually works. That's but, very
0: similar to that that I mentioned. The using one hand, one and one finger to go to the other. You're just doing it with with one with one hand essentially, right? to two, two your t- index and middle finger, and then doing like a a, a, a like a, a half turn, right?
1: Correct. And I'm using and I'm using the phone. You know, and I'm using that index to push the phone down on the counter so it doesn't move. But most of the uh. time I'm using the thumb and the, you know, just a regular flick kind of like if I was grabbing a knob.
0: Oh, I like that on the, keep one finger to anchor the phone and the other one to do the the C, you know, draw C on the screen, essentially a backwards C. Yeah.
1: And it's That's, almost like, like, it's it. not really, it's almost like not really a C. It's like, it's a flick, but you know, I, I start with the flick and the top and it and it just curves just a little bit. And that seems to turn it on and move through it, so it gives me all the options
0: I need. Oh, I'm gonna start using that because I actually both of all three of the methods I mentioned, uh, not great when you've got the phone sitting on a flat surface. Uh, but that one, that one does work good if you've got it just sitting on the table. I like that a lot. I'm gonna, I'm gonna steal that.
1: All right. <laughs> and what we didn't tell people uh, is that you know. Another way to do a double tap is also if you keep your finger where you touched, right? You touch a red what is under you and then you can with your other finger, you know, either with the other hand or in my case I put I touch it. It's same thing, right? If I'm doing recipes, I touch and anchor the phone and if it is what I want, I just I just tap with my middle finger next to it and that creates a
0: double tap. And that particular gesture um they referred to as a split tap although it's it's performing a double tap feature so like Rachel said if i take one finger put it on the screen and then point touch with another
2: dimmed point
0: and i just yes. tap with another so you can do that with uh you know take your index finger find what you want and then hit it with your thumb or your middle finger if you want to do it one handed uh i've seen people some people take one finger put it on the screen find what they want and then tap with the index finger of their opposite hand uh, both Correct. of them work
1: yeah and that's mostly a lot of braille readers do that like somehow they didn't realize that they can use the other
0: fingers so split tap that's also a really, really good one, and that's especially good if you're using an app uh that uses the camera functionality and you want to take and it requires you to touch a button on the screen to take a photo for example so i had I have someone I was working on the seeing a i app which is a a a a pretty cool app and they they were using it to try to do the the facial recognition. So this app's got a mode where you can take a picture of a person and it will try to describe them to you, give you their age and gender and that information. And uh, to do that, you've got to uh, find the take picture button and double tap on it. But every time she held up the phone and she would double tap that tap motion, she'd be pushing the screen and you get a blurry photo if the camera's moving when it takes the photo. So she figured out that she could do a split tap as would touch, find the camera button, and then just gently tap with her other finger when she was ready to take the photo. And it wouldn't shake the phone as much and it would uh, would work better. Although she used it on me and it said I was 46 and I'm 36. Thank you very much. (laughs) Looking a bit older.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I wonder what's going to say about me. I better go check it out.
0: So, and just to make sure I don't know if we describe the rotor in 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 and what its functionality is is when you use the rotor it it reads off various things like if you're on a web page, you might say heading and links. And when it says headings, you can, when you flick up or down, it's navigating by headings. When it says links, you're navigating up and down by links. It's a shortcut. And if you really want to get good at browsing web pages or getting around certain portions of the screen or proofreading something you've written, you're going to want to master that rotor, which is why we wanted to spend so much time talking about how you can get it to work effectively.
1: Well, and I use it a lot for many other apps like Mail, for example, you know, it can let you choose what message you want to read. So if it's a thread that has five messages in it, right, you can uh, quick road to the message and then you can go up and down and choose, you know, message one, two or three for you to read. Um, And also for editing, because if you are in a text area where you can edit, you can quickly move to edit mode, and then it will let you copy, paste, um, you know, select all, select, etc., etc., etc. You can get to those in other forms, like you can copy and paste by making the menu show up by tapping and holding.
2: Five seconds. I,
1: I find the rotor a lot more useful.
0: So it's it's really great, really good, it. I always thought, it, thought of, it as, of it as a advanced feature because the rotor was kind of a challenge to teach people. But it's really, it's it's not an advanced feature. It's almost an essential one if you're going to do a lot. Oh, gosh.
1: Yeah, definitely. And like I said, I have mine a lot in uh, vertical mode. So that way, you know, the flick will take you horizontally one by one. So reads top to bottom, but kind of in rows. And if I want to sort of read columns and things and, you know, I'm in a spreadsheet and I want to read only one column, everything that's up and down that column, I can use the vertical navigation.
0: And the rotor is interesting in that it's, it's context sensitive. So what you'll find in the rotor as you use it will be different depending on what task you're doing. So in Safari, you're going to have links, for example, but if you use the, uh, If you use it inside of an app that doesn't have links, you're not going to find links as an option in the rotor. So explore that in different apps and you'll find that the rotor changes. Also, developers, although I haven't seen a ton of them take advantage of this, but developers can create their own rotor actions for their specific apps. So definitely explore is what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, I really wish this is a call out for developers because... If they could just take advantage of that would make the world a much better place. Now, what comes in your router, uh, you know, by default is a lot less than what you can put in there. So since I'm an information hugger, <laughs> uh, it will change with the context of the app I'm using, but I load everything in there from adjusting uh, uh, pitch uh, no speaking rate, uh, adjusting volume, uh, navigation options. Um, I have the the kitchen sink loaded in there.
0: And you can add and remove anything, uh, any of the options from the rotor by going uh, into the voiceover settings. That's in the settings app, general accessibility, voiceover, or just ask Zero to open voiceover settings for you and then as you've through you're going to see a rotor menu and then a list of what can show up in the rotor and you can double tap to check and uncheck what you want to appear in the rotor uh and there's some great little tidbits in there uh one i've been playing around with is the on-screen braille keyboard which allows yeah. you to uh tap on the screen with your fingers to simulate tap how you would type on a braille keyboard that's a whole thing to get into but uh if you're curious about it you can explore that uh on your own. Uh, but there's a, a, a lot of additional options. And if you have some items in the rotor that you're not using, you can remove them. And it makes it so that you don't have to navigate past those to find your preferred rotor settings. So I, I do think anybody who's been using the rotor uh, and getting used to it should definitely explore that section.
1: I agree. I think it's underutilized and uh, it can really transform your life. Uh, this should be an attack uh, tip, but. I also recently learned that on Netflix, now there is a media description uh, setting on the rotor, and it can tell you speech, braille, speech and braille, or off. And I put it in speech the other day, and I was watching a movie that now and then had uh, you a different language in it, and uh, it read me the subtitles.
0: Oh, very nice. And, and just, this would also be a tech tip, but it's another uh, Netflix thing, just so we're on the topic. They updated to support uh, playing and pausing with a hardware keyboard by pressing the space bar. And that's been making me very happy. Since I have an iPad that I have a keyboard connected to all the time and I set it up to watch Netflix. I can just hit the space bar to play. Uh, but that does actually remind me uh, that I wanted to segue into one final section here, which is just us talking about our favorite, Gestures and uh, uh, just, uh, just ones that we that we find particularly fun. Uh, and and Rachel, you mentioned one that I think is relevant to the play pause I was just mentioning. Um, uh, I don't have drum roll. <laughs> um. Oh, hold on, hold on. Maybe I've got a uh, uh, a drum roll here. Uh, well, how about a gong? Okay. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Oh jeez, I just did that. I do have a drum roll. Okay, here it goes.
1: And my favorite gesture is two finger double tap. And it stops and starts. Whatever function is focused. on on the phone. So if I have music playing and I two finger double tap, it stops the music. If I'm inside Siri, and I use two finger double tap, Siri comes on. If I'm in a text edit, and my keyboard is visible, and if I double tap, dictation will come on. And if I double tap, dictation will turn off. And same thing happens with most everything but if nothing is going on and the phone doesn't know and you two finger double tap uh whatever your music it's playing it will start playing nice and that too. happens with videos too and everything else
0: and then uh, also uh for uh answering the phone or hanging up
1: that's right yes so if a call comes in and uh I cannot hear the screen because it's a noisy place and etc I can just Two-finger double tap on the screen, and that will answer my phone. I used to use that a lot, but now that I have a Bluetooth headset, I mostly just press on the Bluetooth button to, to answer it. But yes, I will do that.
0: What I like about the two fingers that hang up the phone is that, you know, when I grew up, we used to have, you know, phone with a receiver. When you're angry and done talking to someone, you could slam it down on the, the hang up but you can't do that with the smartphone but if you take two fingers and double tap them aggressively it kind of feels like you're just slapping the phone
1: <laughs> actually this happens to me a little too often you know sometimes they say saying oh bye thank you and i hear that they i don't know the person said something else but i already two finger double tap so it literally hangs up on them and i didn't mean to but uh you know if if you say bye to me and you have second thoughts you can bet it's gonna be gone because I'm gonna two finger double tap. All
0: right. It's and,
1: and it also it makes you look good, you know, too, because um, you know, sometimes you're talking to somebody and and then you know they're trying to be polite and they wanna wait for you to hang up. And if you're looking for the hang up button and you're reading the whole screen, sometimes it's your keyboard is up, so it starts saying one, two, three, four, like you no know, start, blah, blah, blah. And then it goes like end call. So then you press, and then the person you can hear the other person on the other side, like like you know, if they don't know you're
0: blind, they don't know what's going on. Exactly, yeah. They start hearing that other voice, and they're like, "What's what's happening?" Yeah. Yeah. Elegant way to hang up. All right. So
1: drum roll for you. What's your
0: favorite? So mine is the two finger scrub. Now, two finger mm. scrub is when you take two fingers and you place them on the screen and you drag them to the left, to the right, and then to the left again. Almost like you're drawing a Z in finger paints on your screen. So you go left, right, left. Actually, you can go left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right, and then lift off, and it still counts. But as long as it's a two fingers, drag it to the right or to the left, then the opposite direction, then the opposite direction, and you lift
1: it's off. I did not know that.
0: Yeah, okay. you can go, you can go crazy too. You can take two fingers yeah, and just like... start scrubbing like your like your DJ. You know, if I'm scratching record. And
1: just go like scrub, scrub, scrub. Exactly. <laughs> okay.
0: And what that does is, it's sort of the back button equivalent. So if you're inside of an email message and you've been reading through the email and you want to go back to your inbox, rather than finding the back button in the top left corner and double tapping or flicking to the left to get there, you can do this two finger scrub, and it simulates hitting the back button. So it takes you back to the previous. Menu. So if you're in the settings, accessibility, I mean settings, general accessibility, you want to go back to general, you can just do a two finger scrub and it takes you back there. It also dismisses some windows as well. So if something's popping up and annoying you, you can sometimes do a two finger scrub to get rid of it.
1: Could I use it for like stupid pop up uh, advertisement on websites?
0: Uh, in some cases, you can.
1: Ah, oh, I'm gonna try
0: that. Be careful though, because if it, it sometimes it also it it does the back button. So if you're on a web page, oh, it takes it, you it, to previous yeah. web page.
1: It's okay because when they have a lot of pop-ups, I get out anyway. So if that happens, it's like too bad you yeah. don't have the presence. My honor to have my presence on your site. Bye.
0: So I use that two finger scrub a lot. So that's why it's it's my 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 personal favorite, and uh, it saves a lot of time uh, navigating.
1: Now I wanted to bring one more that I think it's useful for many people using screen reader or text to speech, which is the two finger flick down because it just reads continuously and is really handy when you have like Kindle open or iBooks or, or a PDF.
0: Yeah, if you get a book open, like you mentioned, Kindle or iBooks, it will read to the end of the page, flip to the next page, and start reading from the top of that page, and so on.
1: Yes, so it's really nice when, again, when I'm cooking and my hands are quite dirty, I just put a book, flick down with two fingers, and then it just keeps reading, reading, reading forever until I stop it.
0: Well, we've been going for a while here and I could talk about gestures all day long, but I think maybe we should wrap it up unless you've got any final thoughts, Rachel. I do
1: have one tiny little um final thought. Is that a lot of people sometimes do not know how to explain to a blind person how to uh tap, you know, tap hold and and swipe. I think that's what the you know, hold and swipe and a lot of uh, apps require that. So the way to do that on voiceover is you do your two finger double tap really quick. You don't lift after the second tap. You hold it and then you swipe right or left.
0: Excellent. So if there's nothing else, why don't we close ourselves out here?
1: All right, yeah, because Nettie's starting to cry here. She's saying, it's over, people. Yeah,
0: yeah, you've been going to throw for over an hour. Come on.
1: Yeah, she's like, come on, hang up. You're getting boring now. All
0: right. Well, I want to thank everybody for joining us for this episode of the Access Ninja podcast. Uh, this has been Jonathan Campbell.
1: And this is Rachel
0: Magario. If you've got feedback for us, send it to us at feedback at ninja. That's feedback at ninja. And, uh, you know, be good to each other, all right? Have a great week.